0: You can go ahead and turn to your scripture. We'll get to it in a minute. Our scripture is going to be Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 15 and go through verse 21 this morning. You'd find it on page 1162 in your pew Bible. That's the black Bible that's in front of you in the pew. If you are here without a Bible, you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you because we believe the word of God is that powerful. We don't want you to leave here without it. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 15, page 1,162. Let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Merry Christmas, or is it Happy New Year? It's both, right? We're so close, two days away, and it's going to be 2019. Who can believe it? It's almost here. New Year's. I, I I know Jeremy and his family, I saw on Facebook earlier, they're ready to celebrate. They've got all the fireworks purchased, so when you see things blowing up, it's them. It's okay. Don't call the cops. But they celebrate. In other ways, we celebrate Christmas. Who here does black-eyed peas on New Year's Day? It does not bring you good luck. It just tastes bad. Oh, I'm sorry to the black-eyed pea, the black-eyed pea uh, farmers and growers and canners, but, but it's a bad product. In fact, I think... The, the notion that it brings you good luck was invented by the black-eyed pea industry as a way for one day a year to increase sales and guarantee that they should keep growing them the next year. You know, we do other things at New Year's to celebrate it as well. We, we may even go and do the polar plunge down by the Seawalk Pavilion. Who's here going to go jump in some water? Right? Yeah, I'm, I'll be there. I'll be there. Jeremy's going to be there. He's getting baptized while he's doing it too. How about that to start off the new year? This guy's got it all. He's he's skipping the black eyed peas, check mark, right? That's good. And he's setting off fireworks and then getting baptized while doing a polar plunge. He's going to have the best 2019 ever, right? Love you, Jeremy. He'll never sit on the front row again. (laughs) But, you know, for for followers of Christ, for us Christians, there's no unique biblical narrative significance to New Year found within Scripture. Right. There's there's nothing that informs our celebrations that tell us about the black eyed peas or tell us about the fireworks or tell us about jumping in the cold water or even tell us about making famous New Year's resolutions. Who's ready to make some resolutions? Ready? Oh, nobody. You're not ready for it. You're like, you're like, pastor, we've got two days. Why do we have to think about changing already? But the Bible does speak about time in many different places. Ecclesiastes, it tells us the different seasons and times that there are within our lives. He later tells us in chapter 12 more about the days ahead and that are coming. He tells us some wisdom. In Psalm 90, we get a prayer from Moses about how our days, well, they're limited to 70. We're at best 80, he says. And asked that God would bless the work of their hands. See, but before we get into making these New Year's resolutions that I know everyone in here is going to make this year. We should begin with the heart. See, often we have a tendency to skip the heart and just begin making plans and setting goals. And then at the end we think, oh, yeah. And we sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of our resolutions. But as Christians, we need to allow Jesus not to merely be the garnish of our change, but to be what actually informs and ignites our change. Jesus is the source of power. for It says nothing is impossible with Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we begin by... Redeeming this time that we have set in front of us, How do we begin by making resolutions that are informed by Jesus? How can Jesus be our source? Well let's look at the scripture today. Go ahead and note. you have your Bibles? you've marked the place that if you closed them, open them back up. Paul writes here: "Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise out of reverence for Christ. Here ends the reading. Paul. Paul's always there with the advice when he needs him. Seems his message is always but timely. See, he begins in this verse here by saying, look carefully then how you walk. Paul here, when he says walk, he's talking about in in Hebrew behavior. So Paul throughout Ephesians is writing about Christian behavior or Christian walk and he says that it must no longer be that our Christian walk is according to the world or according to our flesh or according to the devil. In fact, earlier in his letter in chapter 2 he writes these words, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world" following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, for us to understand that Jesus born In a manger is good news of great joy. We first understand our own position, our own place in the world. See, here Paul tells us quite clearly that when we followed our own desires, when we followed things according to the word, when we followed things according to the devil, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were children of wrath. He says, but the good news is this. He continues in verse four when he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here it is, by grace, you have been saved. See, we first have to understand that we were dead and children of wrath to understand that what Jesus did on the cross was adopt us and take us from being children of wrath to children of God. That's what makes it good news of a great joy. Because he completely turned our dismal situation around. We were far from God. We were disobedient. We were deserving of the punishment Jesus himself received. Death. But he came and he lived among us. Living the perfect life. Holy, spotless, blameless. Dying on the cross. And three days later, raising and then ascending to the right hand of the Father so that we would be adopted as his brothers and sisters. Adopted as children of God. That our names would be written in the Lamb's great book of life. And Paul says that that happens by grace. You have been saved through faith in Christ. So he's telling us that in back here in chapter 5, he's telling us now look carefully at your walk. It can't be informed anymore by your own desires. It can't be any, informed anymore by the world or by the devil because that left you dead. But when you put Jesus as a source and not the garnish on top, it brings you to life. It changes how you live. And die immensely. It's good news of great joy. Paul also tells us in this letter later in chapter 4 that that we also can't live and inform our walk like pagans or Gentiles. He says these words, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Paul is big on this Christian walk when he writes to the church in Ephesus this Christian walk being our growing in becoming disciples of Christ, becoming more Christ-like. It's that refining fire of God that purifies us so that we become a reflection of Christ unto the world. See, Paul says this about why our walk doesn't look like that. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy calling in which you have been called so to walk worthy in a manner of the calling in which we have been called is to put aside the world and our flesh and the devil and the pagans that informed the way we used to live and allow Jesus to be the source of our light and life he's urging us to even look carefully how we want to examine it with some intensity. Philip Stanhope is famously quoted as saying, Every, anything worth doing is worth doing well. So what are the things that we try and do well? We try and do well at our jobs. We try and do well at school. We try and do well on projects. We try and do well in our homes and our families. We try and do well with our hobbies. we put that same effort in doing well in our Christian walk? Because I can think of nothing that's worth more and worthy of doing well than walking with the Lord. So what are these things that we need to do? How does this really apply To a resolution that we're going to make. How does this apply to me wanting to lose some weight? How does this apply to me wanting to read some more books? Paul continues on. He says here in verse 16. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See, Paul here, he equates wise people, right? He said, don't be unwise, but be wise. He equates being wise as being someone who has faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, he considers you wise. And he says, so be wise, therefore, making the best use of your time. I'm a really good time waster. Who else here can waste some time? Yeah. Yeah. My, my family and my in-laws, they've been here for about a week now. They can attest to exactly how much time I can waste doing absolutely nothing that has any value, right? And the cool thing now is I, I do a lot of it on my, on my phone. I waste a lot of time on my phone. In fact, Steve Jobs' goal when he created the original iPod and later the iPhone was that it would just become an extension of our hand, that we wouldn't know what to do without it, and. Well, sure enough, we have a world now that if we leave our smartphone someplace, we've essentially lost our mind. We don't know what to do if we're bored and we don't have our phone. My kids have no clue what to do if we don't have a digital screen in front of them and they're bored. They don't know that they can go and take twigs and, and, and play things. But, and, and so now they've updated the software. Right, so on Sunday I get this nice little report about how much screen time I've done every week. Oh man, that's depressing. Right, another time waster—it's social media. Right, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter. Right, and you're just working out your thumb. You're like, next year I'm gonna work on my left thumb. And you're just scrolling. You're just scrolling. You're not posting anything that. It's really that helpful every now and then we post, but we're just sitting there scrolling, seeing what everybody else is up to. We're not even stopping really to pay attention. If you're really good at it, you just spin it like the wheel of fortune and go. <laughs> What's going to come up next? Just wasting time. The TV, the original good time waster, right? You can sit in front of it for hours and not know anything than you knew before. Make the best use of your time. See, this word making in Greek is, is the word exag- exagorazo, which can mean redeem or to buy up. Now, it's not really redeeming time. I don't think that's the use that it wanted to be there because we can't really go back in time and get it and change it. But we can buy up the time. We can not purchase the time that we have in front of us. We can pay attention to it and use it best that we live a life worthy of the calling in which we have been called. See, time, while it's a precious commodity, is something we all have been given an equal amount of. We all have 24 hours in a day and 168 hours in a week and 8,760 hours in a year. We've all been given the same amount of time. And there's books written about uh, how to be... How to use your time the most effective. Stephen Covey might have the most famous book, Seven Habits of of Highly Effective People, right? That might be the most famous one. And there's all these time management things, how to get the most out of your day, how to jam-pack it full so that you can be an effective person. Even, Even secular people understand that time is a commodity and we can either use it or we can waste it. There's no really in-between with time. See, Jonathan Edwards is uh, from the first Great Awakening here in the United States, a Puritan preacher. He, he's really famous up in New England. He's, he's written many sermons. If you go back and read them, they're exquisite and, and beautiful. And he preached them without a microphone. So now he's just yelling at people. But he also had his own Christian walk that he attuned to in which he wrote down 75 resolutions. Now, this isn't 75 resolutions a year. That would be a bit insane, but this was just 75 resolutions for his life. And his 70th resolution was this, resolved, never lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. His goal was to make the best use of his time given to, Not to let any of it waste away. The second thing Paul tells us about how to make resolutions, we see it here in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's probably our biggest question in life, isn't it? What's the will of God? Discerning God's will, what do I do next? Do we move or do we stay? Do we sell our home? Do we buy this piece of property? Do we go on vacation here? Do we adopt another kid? What about this dog? Do we get another credit card? Do we buy this car? How do we know what God's will is for our own lives? What career do we choose? Do we marry? And if so, whom? Discerning the will of God is one of the greatest mysteries we have that we can grow that muscle. We can grow that discerning muscle. And he says those that are carefully attuning to their Christian walk can discern the will of God. Now, John Stott tells us that there's two kinds of the will of God. There's the general will of God, which is for everyone. For example, it's that God's will is for everyone to be more like Christ. Now, there's also a particular will of God, which applies to each of us individually, which are more of those personal questions, right? What career do we choose? What house do we live in? What neighborhood do we send our kids to for school? All of those great questions we have in our lives. Do we retire? So this general will it can be found in the word of God. See, Jesus knew about God's will for his own life too. He even prayed in the moments before being arrested and taken to the cross. He says, not my will, but yours. And then when he teaches us to pray the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying for God's will to be done. But how do we know what God's will is if we never enter into scripture? As your pastor, I'm here to tell you if the only time that you're opening a Bible is when you come here and join in worship on Sunday mornings, you are missing out on the character and nature of God and fully understanding his will. Because he has given it to us here revealed in his word. His general will for all the people. It's there for us to read. We just celebrated Christmas, right? Timothy Keller writes this about Christmas. He says, Christmas and the incarnation mean that God went to infinite lengths to make himself one whom we can know personally. We can know him personally. He's not far off and distant. And so he also gave us his word so we can know his general will. And it's through the reading of scripture and and the communicating with him through prayer that this relationship grows. See, the, the get of the gospel isn't that we get heaven. It's that we get God. We get full, unfettered access to God. We get that relationship with God in which we get to know his character and who he is in which it tells us that he sent Jesus out of, because he was rich in mercy and he loved you so much. The Bible also tells us that he's holy and just and he has expectations for our lives and guidelines for general guidelines for all of us to follow But how would we know his voice when trying to discern the particular will for our lives if we are not listening to the word he's already sent us? If We're not paying attention to what's written right here in front of us. So we need to enter his word. Enter his word and begin building this relationship. We want to be able to know God's voice, to discern it differently from our own, right? We want to know that it's God's voice and God's will in front of us and not our ego, not our pride, not our fear, not our own desires. Because as Paul said earlier, everything on our own that we followed led to death and becoming children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience. When we know God and we build this relationship and we build on his will and what Jesus Christ has planned for us, it leads to life because we have been adopted children of God. The work Jesus did was the most successful thing that ever happened in our lives. So we don't have to spend this next year trying to be a success. Paul says, just look carefully at your Christian walk. Make the best use of your time. Discern the will of God. So I have one resolution for all of you to make today. I know only a few of you raised your hand, but you're all getting one. Read the Bible more. Even if you're already reading it every day. You can't read it enough. There's no other book that brings life. There's no other word of God because the word of God is simply powerful. Faith itself is, it's just not a stab in the dark. It isn't merely believing in God. It's believing God himself, his promises, his will, understanding his mercy and his love His holiness, his justice. Knowing the nature and the character of God. Art Azurdia says this. Do you wish to be a more consistently obedient, steadily persevering Christian? A stronger Christian? Then you need to strengthen your faith, he says. That your faith will instinctively strengthen in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. And that you expand your understanding of your faith and your faith itself will obediently follow with the object of our faith being Jesus the Christ. So you want to know Jesus better? So you can grow in love, peace, patience, and joy, and kindness, and self-control, and gentleness, then immerse yourself with the faith-arousing Word of God. Because it says here, written by the Apostle John, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is how powerful the word of God is for your life. Amen.